0: We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi there, I'm Daniel Moore and you're listening to Season 3 of the Hearing Architecture Podcast, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. At the moment, we're talking to built environment professionals about what can be learned from unbuilt work and if it's possible to learn from designs that don't get tested in bricks and mortar. Our guests in this episode are Anna Yankovic and André Bernice from the speculative architecture practice Simula. Anna and Andre are registered architects and academics, who designed a project for the NGV Architecture Commission as part of the environmentally regenerative movement A New Normal called GasStack. Even though their submission didn't win the commission, their unbuilt design won the 2022 Architecture Australia Prize for Unbuilt Work. Anna and Andre share what they've built into the design of Stack, how working on speculative projects contributes to their emerging practice, and how design research and teaching allows an architecture practice to investigate and explore ideas that might not be possible at the same scale in practice. I'll now hand over to Max Legal-White, who is an Imagine representative based in Victoria. Let's jump in.
1: Welcome to another episode of Hearing Architecture. My name is Max Legal-White, and the topic of this episode is unbuilt projects. We'll be talking about what can be learned from projects that don't get built and from speculative architecture projects which are intended to convey ideas. To discuss this topic, we have Andre Bonis and Anna Jankovic, who are the directors of similar a practice currently working on architecture, research and academic projects in Melbourne. Their gas star submission for the NGV Architecture Commission Won the 2022 AA Prize for Unbuilt Work and was shortlisted in the 2021 NGV Architecture Commission. Welcome, Anna and Andre.
2: Thanks, Max. Thanks, Max. Yeah, thanks Thanks. for having us.
1: No problem. Glad you could be here and um, have a good discussion. You've won the AA Prize for Unbuilt Work this year. Can you talk us through the Gas Stack project?
3: Yeah, sure thing. So, I guess as a synopsis, the project was for a waste to energy plant which was basically equipped with an anaerobic digester and that equipment what we proposed to have was it suspended in a reused electricity transmission tower and for this installation I guess to sort of act as a prototype and a sort of standalone self-sufficient form of energy that could I guess be the centerpiece for the NGV Architecture Commission.
2: Yeah, and so I think it it was taking food waste from the NGV cafe and restaurant and then through the anaerobic digester turning that into fertiliser and biogas, you know, which then powered the installation itself as well as being used for the kind of boiling of tea as well.
3: On reflection, like, we realised that it's actually a competition submission that was really dense with ideas and, you know, we haven't had too many opportunities to sort of speak about it publicly but... It allows us to sort of expand discussions both on energy generation. Andre mentioned like it produced fertilizer. We even had like take-home bottles of fertilizer as part of the proposal. So you know people could take a bit of the digester home with them and, and sort of question I guess how this technology could maybe you know proliferate in you know suburban and urban contexts because it's not a technology which is really used in, in urban context. It is, you know, quite prominent in rural contexts where it's used on farm farming land. But it came about through a lot of different ideas that we had about energy, you know, including also ideas on thermodynamics, funnily enough. Like, you know, we were sort of talking about...
2: Yeah, we became a bit obsessed.
3: Yeah, we came a bit obsessed with sort of like, you know ideas around energy whether be they scientific or more conceptual and like thermodynamics was a way to sort of think about the things which we don't see like energy transfer heat transfer and loss and so uh, yeah and
2: I think and it's this idea that no energy in the universe is lost or created it's only moving from one state to another And so, you know, that was kind of this thinking about turning waste into energy, which was, you know, obviously fundamental with the collaboration with Finding Infinity and something that Ross and Finding Infinity have been exploring at length too. And so, you know, being able to kind of combine that thinking and, um, you know, it was really exciting. So I think, you know, and the other idea about like entropy, essentially, you know, entropy being that things are moving from a state of order to disorder and so the idea here being by turning waste into energy, you're kind of creating some order within that disorder. So I think, you know, although there's kind of quite a, a kind of simple summary of the project, it did, through the kind of process of stage one and two, become really kind of dense and layered and, and you know, kind of complex. Mm.
1: Yeah, so there would have been a really good opportunity to really deep dive the concept in the stage one and two submission and get collaborators on board, you know, really nutted out So are speculative projects an important part of Simula?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think certainly they are. I mean, we're kind of in an interesting phase where we're kind of just in our formation as a practice, but obviously Anna and I have kind of, you know, quite long professional lives prior to that, independent at other practices. So I think the speculative practice uh, or project offers a kind of really good opportunity to kind of investigate ideas and and projects that you know perhaps you aren't commissioned for and so I think you know ultimately you know we see the speculative project as integral to the way we practice because architecture you know as we can kind of appreciate is quite hard uh, and and, slow (laughs) and very slow at times and so I think the speculative project just offers a way to break that cycle Mm. and to kind of challenge the normative modes of practice so i think you know that's where we really see the kind of opportunity in that mode of thinking and doing
3: yeah absolutely and also it permits us to kind of both break that cycle but also to sort of inquire more deeply into things around the discipline of architecture and beyond the discipline of architecture which perhaps the built commissions don't really have much of a domain to do so and
2: you know i think also like you know, as a sort of newly established practice, the phone isn't, like, running hot. (laughs) So the idea of expected practice too to lead to a sort of unsolicited architecture that you can kind of create the project you want to do
1: Mm.
2: Uh, through that way of working I think is something that, you know, we haven't quite solved yet but is something that we're interested in and and certainly trying to explore.
1: And,
3: you know, we do see these unbuilt or competition or speculative projects as a way to help you know frame and develop ideas not just like maybe the methodology of the practice as such but really to develop ideas that could be incorporated into built commissions for sure
1: yeah yeah so the phone's not running hot yet but you know you you do seem to focus on this synthesis of art technology and architecture like and tying them all together it's like pushing the built environment through that angle so is that a driver for a lot of your projects
2: I think certainly I think I mean we do kind of quite enjoy you know the generic and kind of really first principle elements of architecture and doing the humble project so we certainly like to do that alongside some of these you know more exploratory art technology-based projects you know where we get to work with Finding Infinity and Tommaso Andovenya Reed, who's the artist that work with us on NGV and so we kind of like sitting or exploring both those sides So, you know, we're still working on a kind of lean domestic project for Ads. you know, where it's keeping things as kind of clear and succinct and sort of with a figurative clarity. And then, you know, allowing these speculative projects to infiltrate in certain aspects to those projects in, in whatever way they can. But I think it's nice doing both. I think it's, yeah. you know,
3: and I guess, You know, further to that, like we've got a really diverse range of influences, which is why, you know, as you say, these, you know, art, technology, architecture are kind of melding for us because, you know, we look both within and outside the disciplines, so we're looking to be influenced by different mediums and, and other disciplines, you know, be it, yeah, the art, the object, whether it's like mundane and generic things or it's, you know, cultural and historical events and movements or a change in the technological paradigm and you know certainly NGV picks up on the fact that you know we are in a bit of a paradigm shift within the energy sector and that architecture potentially has a role to play in that as well so yeah we are constantly kind of like collecting these things that intrigue and interest us and yeah it's sort of it's nice when also we can value the opportunity to work with others that are outside of our discipline or, or maybe just alongside our discipline let's say it's not so much that we sort of see these things as siloed but rather you know they're kind of just all it's sort of this an expanded field of, of practicing I guess.
2: Mm. And I think probably what led us to this mode of practice you know although Anna and I haven't been practicing together for you know much beyond the last year and a half we've been in the design studio, teaching together since probably seven, eight years ago. Yeah. you know, I remember actually um, Ian McDougall's tribute to the late Peter Corrigan, where he presented you know ten lessons. And one of those lessons was sort of teaching makes culture, and so you know it was basically a point about it. Like any young architecture firm worth its salt must do some teaching in the design studio, yeah. which is, like can note explicitly what we plan to do, but just I guess you know where we found you know that initial common ground. You know after studying together and that's kind of led into this kind of mode of practice where we're split between those kind of two worlds
1: mm. so kind of collecting ideas through studios and speculation through projects like is this how you go about approaching competition and like generating ideas through this or are there other ways that you go about approaching a competition
3: i don't think we see sort of approaching say the competition brief as too different from approaching a commission brief i think it's still both can be explorative both we would probably approach from a bit of a first principles basis where like we don't really come to these things with assumptions and i guess we we do relish the ability to question the brief always it's not necessarily to sort of impose a set of thinking on it, but to sort of ask, you know, what has what has formed the brief, what 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 is essential to the brief? How can we maybe challenge some of the assumptions that have been made by either the competition framework or, or the brief itself? So,
2: and I'd I'd say like within that kind of frame of thinking that, you know, we're probably you know influenced by anthropology. So I think like anthropologists and, you know, in the way they've kind of got to be emphatic and careful and observant of the context in which they work, you know, to kind of understand the people, yeah. um, their habits, their cultures, you know, the things that make it distinct to a place. I think, you know, we really like that uh, that kind of mode of thinking to, to architecture and that can be to the brief and the, the site and, you know, the users in the same way that a competition brief, you know, is kind of asking you other questions and to kind of apply that same sort of rigor i think is kind of important so you know again like you know we use the kind of term first principles approach which is you know maybe overused but <laughs> uh, i think you know it's still i guess what we try and do and i think we do enjoy that formative part of that stage where we're testing very kind of expansive things and sometimes you know is you kind of know the first idea is sometimes the best one but then to really kind of prove that you've got to then test the other 20 to then feel confident enough that that was right in in the first place. So I think, like, we're not so good at trusting our intuition just yet, but I think, you know, maybe with time we won't need to do the other 20 options. Which we did do for the NGV. So you know this one, yeah, there was probably 20 quite discreet different options then that agreed on the direction of the anaerobic digester in the sort of frame. And then within that there was, like, Another twenty, so. Yeah. But you know, that's like it is fun, exciting, and you know, great to have other voices and uh, opinions and a kind of diverse mix of of people to kind of explore those those ideas with.
1: Yeah. So you're working with Finding Infinity. How did you come about working with them?
2: We first came across Ross from you know the days where I was running off the grid. Although we didn't know him personally at that stage, we like really you know love the kind of concept of that for a music festival and
3: a really sort of grassroots way of going about disrupting that particular I guess technological and and building systems and energy systems and waste systems a set of understanding which which I guess at that point in time hadn't really filtered into practice at that point for, for most of you know I guess architecture in Australia so yeah it was a really great way to start to test ideas and and to sort of have someone who was equally engaged in some of the things that we were, you know, wanting to explore. And then I guess from there, it's been both a, you know, a great collaborative experience on on this project, but also just generally with regard to, I guess, our views on how we see technology potentially shaping architecture in the future as well.
2: Mm. I think, you know, they've definitely found the niche of understanding the, the power of sort of combining technology with culture you know, that's kind of really distinct to their way of working, which I think, you know, because Ross has like tried for years to implement some of these ideas and, you know, when you just talk about it on its kind of technology level, it's very hard to kind of engage a broader audience. But when you start to kind of position it in new environments, in new contexts and, you know, around other events then it suddenly takes on a new life and, mm. and people can kind of read and understand it in new ways. And I think, you know, that's where a project or a, a competition like the NGV Architecture Commission provides a really, you know, unique opportunity to, to speculate on some of those things in the most important cultural institution in, in the city.
3: I would probably just add to that also by saying, you know, we saw the project and those things coming together as a way to sort of change the value set of what we see as beneficial to the city. You know, because we certainly saw the role of architecture in that competition as having an ability to inform everyday life and and to sort of change the way we see waste And, and we spoke about it in the design as being, you know, shifting people's perception that organic waste is something dirty to be discarded and instead Elevating it and and making it something that is of worth and of value, you know, ultimately for for benefit, mm. you know, mm. for, for to produce a good um, and something of value for the city.
2: And then uh, Tomaso Naveny Reed, who is who's an artist who who's a bit of a long time collaborator in sort of different forums, yeah, and he he kind of brings another kind of dimension as well. So mm. you know, we enjoy the projects. Like yes, there's sort of technical and kind of programmatic or uh, aspects that you know, we really need to define and be clear and and sure about. And then, you know, we do also enjoy the conversations, the more expansive conceptual conversations that, you know, we kind of have with Tommaso where, you know, that's where the idea starts to really kind of take on a new life and and new meaning. And so I think, you know, it was really fun. And he's, like, incredible with film as well. And, you know, we had to set up a film studio in our lounge room because we're in lockdown.
3: And we were producing the uh, 20-minute presentation video for the NGV. Yeah. Uh, panel so that was like yeah green screen in the living room you know each of us sort of standing in front of a camera trying to remember our lines and you know and director in tow so that was, yeah that was really I guess that's what makes those competitions even though they're quite dense and and rapid paced um, it also makes them you know very exciting but I guess you know in collaborating with Tommaso. As an artist, he's, he will he will come to things differently and, and sort of see architecture through a very different lens, you know, in some instances. And in other instances, we'll also offer the same for his art practice, but we're all kind of like loosely speaking the same language. And so I guess with film, you know, and I mentioned entropy earlier, the ability to maybe see heat transfer. He had the sort of fantastic influence in setting up a sort of thermal imaging camera that would, you know, survey the installation during its lifetime. And, and so you would enter the Great Hall and first be sort of confronted with this sort of heat map of the installation before you actually enter the garden space. And I think that that way of sort of seeing and thinking about architecture really also inflected the project for us in, in a really good way
2: as well. And he made us watch the film Heat, which we hadn't actually seen, believe <laughs> it or not, uh, a few days before we had to submit, which was Quite important because it has a quite an amazing like heat imaging scene. I don't know if you've seen it, Max, but oh, I haven't seen it, no. No.
1: Yeah, so to it's, it.
2: you gotta watch it. And definitely you watch it for this particular scene where they're doing the infrared heat imaging and it's um yeah, so it definitely found its way into the project as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, that movie was great. That presentation video. Um is really entertaining and also, you know, covered the whole scope of the project. I would recommend that everyone goes and watches it on Vimeo. <laughs>
2: we better make it more public yeah Um,
1: put it on the website
2: (laughs) yeah the full version
1: yeah so you mentioned in that architecture as an apparatus and that i think really ties into the technological art architecture component of it and it becoming a beyond a shelter and becoming something else that influences and the boots environment and culture so rolling out that idea like would you envisage the idea of the gas stack project to be rolled out through the built environment yeah
3: absolutely i mean it really is this prototype that we see as having a role to inform everyday life and and to you know inform architecture and i guess seeing it as an apparatus or an armature for things to latch onto for different functions to play out and take place you know first and foremost we sort of proposed it as a as a sort of shelf for the ready-made being this anaerobic digester, but that that being a centrepiece of maybe how we see waste and distribution of waste or collection of waste and, and capitalising on that fuel as being, yeah, potentially a centrepiece for our communities for, you know, the future. And we propose really, I mean, and this is something that, you know, art does as well, really making a use case for it. And again, within the forum of, of a gallery as large as the NGV. So, you know, there is sort of the history of the machine in art and and we sort of try to unpack some of those ideas with, I guess, the sort of structural and formal nature of the installation. But it's definitely something that we sort of see to be, you know, adapted, reused. And, and you know, many who maybe have sort of submitted for the NGV in the past would know that the ngv ask for the afterlife of the structure to be considered and we definitely saw this as a kit of parts it's it's definitely something that was able to be broken down and pop up elsewhere or i think we described it as like the lunar lander that's just sort of landed in the garden and you know might you know literally fly off to another location it's sort of it is this idea that um architecture is not a finished thing, it's adaptable and it's versatile enough and agile enough that maybe, yeah, it can sort of service other parts of the city and other buildings and
2: hmm.
3: um, and become a centre point um, hmm. for other locations. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I think, and, you know, Ross kind of often talks about this, is that the anaerobic digester as a sort of piece of technology is actually pretty common yeah. and normal uh, in agricultural and rural settings but it's, it's not really something that's made its way into the urban environment. And, you know, we were interested in the kind of history of sort of industrial edifices in the city, the gas stacks, the transmission towers, all these things that kind of provide us the utility that we need. And, you know, for whatever reason, we seem kind of more protective of, of that environment, not allowing those types of forms to kind of infiltrate the city again. So it's like, the project definitely saw itself like rolling out in multiple sites, but also like introducing this technology to a context where it haven't hasn't been taken up.
3: And you know, it is still commonplace that we hide systems and machines in buildings within the architecture. It's concealed, not not revealed, and so. Those sort of more concealing devices are, are noticeably absent because we just want the sort of framework and, as you say, this armature to be the thing that people consider as being a part of our discipline and, and an important area that we need to maybe reconcile for
1: the future as well.
2: Yeah, it just designed itself. We just took the walls off.
1: Yeah, we just and took they, the walls <laughs> off. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it showed us all the things we take for granted and cover up. Yeah. So the contribution of Finding Infinity, do they contribute a lot um, in research and design and or and testing anything?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I guess you know we sort of had to test some of the parameters of the system in rehousing it in this structure. You know, we we were relatively I think familiar with how it worked and you know sort of the start and end process, and I think as a result you know it's well integrated as a concept but as a as a sort of piece of machinery you know we needed to know how much input versus how much output we were going to be able to produce and
2: yeah was was the inflatable big enough was the inflatable
3: (laughs) big enough we did like there were probably 20 iterations of what volume and size and shape that would take and Mm. and you know Ross understands, you know, I guess from a maintenance point of view, he was actually even keen to set up his office in the NGV garden and and just like spend his days monitoring the system and and sort of, you know, interacting with it.
2: Yeah, I think we were all going to basically live there for... The six months and make sure it was working optimally the whole time
3: yeah but I mean that's also part of I guess the way it was going to play out as a sort of a more performative installation as well because you know it gets fed every day with the waste that's collected from the NGV that biogas bag we were able to sort of use the gas from it. We sort of proposed that we had a, like a billy-boiling tea in the bottom section of the of this structure.
2: Mm. And then we had the the two trolleys that represented the sort of start and end of the process. So we had one trolley that would fly off and collect the food waste from the cafe and the restaurant, and then a the second trolley that was the serving of tea. So it was a sort of start and end of that process, you know, which was, you know, kind of nice to tie that in. And then, we, you know, something that didn't, quite make it into the presentations. We had done some initial designs for the outfits that the people pushing the trolleys was going to wear.
3: Yeah, they were all going to be in, like, these sort of, like, slightly fluoro high-tech uniforms. Sort yeah, of,
2: jumpsuits. Yeah. Um, we were quite excited, like, quite in the kind of constructivist vein. We were pretty excited about that aspect. <laughs> too. That obviously didn't make it. But, yeah, so I think, you know, and so Finding Infinity, like, it was kind of all integral in kind of everything. The discussions of the kind of mood, uh, you know, as well as a sort of technical volume discussions of just you know how much waste will produce, how much fertilizer and how much kind of gas yeah. uh, you know how much electricity can we generate? Do we have enough to power the whole thing or will we have a surplus or we have not enough? So I think you know what became interesting in that discussion too is just that kind of relationship between production and consumption, yeah. which is kind of becomes fundamental to the installation as well that you kind of explicitly read you know, how much is being produced versus how much is being consumed.
1: Yeah, I like the concept of it being able to, you know, kind of change local government area almost or suburb, you know, it being taken down, reinstalled somewhere else, be a a source of community gathering and also, yeah, energy, food, Bombs.
3: Yeah, and I mean we, we were collaborating with Osnet as well who were going to be donating the steel components from a disused transmission tower. I think initially they were like, do you want a whole transmission tower? They're like... 50 meters high and we're like no 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 just a little bit (laughs) we've only got so much to fit into the NGV but they were so excited because their their transmission towers they they manage the network so they're they're moving our energy needs and so they were like yeah we can move electricity or why not and one of the transmission towers could be used for gas in the future who who knows like or biogas I should say from food waste specifically from an anaerobic digester but Mm. they were quite excited by the idea so we were having some really great discussions with their engineers as well
2: yeah and they were really excited because i think normally a decommissioned transmission tower just goes to scrap metal right you know and they you know they're impeccably designed things like Mm. engineered to be as as efficient as possible material wise yeah to be able to like sustain the kind of pressures of the power grid and the wind load and etc etc just like water accumulating on the on the wire. So there's this whole incredible set of engineering and thinking and care that goes into the production of it. And so I think they got really excited that, you know, that could, you know, not just get turned into scrap metal but could find its way into the NGV as well.
3: Yeah, because, um, I mean, in, in sort of media and sort of everyday discussion, you know, a lot of energy, particularly Fossil fuel energy is, you know, obviously maligned and, you know, rightly so. But, um, you know, it's it's uh, sadly like, you know, to the detriment of them feeling like they're not part of the solution, you know. And when actually, if you collaborate in the right ways, you can really get people on board and, and tap into some of those avenues for change, you know, where, that you want to sort of mm-hmm. spark.
2: And I think actually just like talking through the project again, and because we're in lockdown when we were talking with them, so it was all over zoom and things so i think it's actually like in this that we should actually fire up that conversation again
1: because
2: yeah, yeah. It, like it was you know really good to have general excitement from you know all parties so we just have to find a, a, a willing host well, for This
3: it. goes back to your point about the unsolicited project it's yeah. like you just you're just right waiting for the right conversation i think you have to chase those down
1: so yeah the second life of the project that comes into play are you aiming to roll it out in the near future, or yeah, I
3: think in the first instance, it's sort of forming another speculative project in a sort of self-sufficient and autonomous dwelling. So, so we are kind of extending certainly the concept and and some of its parts. So that's a sort of current project um, and sort of area of research that yeah. we're we're looking at at the moment. But yeah, it it, it was proposed that it could be recommissioned or or decommissioned and and reinstalled elsewhere we had a potential new client who would purchase it and take it on and it could be sold off in part like I think the sale of the digester alone was going to pay for about uh, 60 percent of the overall commission budget so I think we were we were definitely from the outset thinking about how it could be yeah dismantled and, and reused elsewhere but also you know it employs you know pretty standard trusses like that you'd find in roof roofing trusses as well so I think that idea of sort of picking it apart and like rebuilding it or it not quite at the same um is something that interests us so that's definitely leading on to other things
2: yeah and I think like as an idea I think the project is sort of indirectly influencing you know other projects and thinking in the office So. I- but I think at the same time, we do also like the idea of being put in a new context um, that mm. sits outside of what its original intention was. I think, you know, one of our kind of favourite precedents, not for its kind of formal or sort of spatial thing, but kind of the genesis of the idea was like OMA's Casa de Musica. You know, originally the uh, OMA designed a house in Rotterdam. I think it was the Y2K, Y2K house yeah. in about 1996. Very particular client had a very particular kind of brief and it led to this kind of idea of the house being centered around this big void. And then I think the project went on ice, much to the dismay of the sort of office. But then um, you know, they were invited to a competition for the Casa de Musica in Porto in ninety nine and then basically translated or transported that idea, both formally and conceptually, uh, to that competition and won it. So it's like a kind of really interesting example of how I guess, you know, those projects or, or ideas can kind of find new homes and I guess architecture isn't completely defined explicitly by the site and the context and that, you know, you can kind of find things to kind of project onto them and, and look at those conditions and arrangements that they sort of create. So I think we'd be very open to, to transporting <laughs> yeah. it somewhere else. Well, that's
1: the, like a research element, I guess, it opens up other avenues, more projects, you know, you can apply it to other briefs and then testing the idea through various forms. So you mentioned your university teaching and running studios. So that's also been a pretty big part of Simula and also generating ideas and research through those forums.
3: Yeah, so I'm Associate Lecturer at rmit architecture and andre's you know taught there as a sessional teacher for for many years as well
2: so and, yeah we used to teach together and now we're not allowed to teach together yeah. anymore, Basically, <laughs> no, no, that's not true.
3: <laughs> yeah it's been a very i guess particularly the design studio but you know we teach across other subjects myself across you know history which i coordinate a subject of and and professional practice as well and andre you've sort of taught across professional practice and I think being engaged with the university is definitely allowed for you know deeper inquiry into into some of these things where you know one foot outside of the profession you're able to sort of approach things from a different perspective at times and, and critique them as well perhaps you know at arm's length but you know the design studio particularly whether you're teaching at a bachelor level or a master's level is you know such a rich terrain and you know, because you are framing the conceptual ideas that the studios sort of formed on, it's really fantastic to sort of see how students approach those as well. And Andre's past studios, also in collaboration with Jean-Marie Spencer, have looked particularly at coal as an energy source and sort of architecture and infrastructure that has come off of that you ran a number of studios on that for a few years and that was, you know, fantastic to sort of observe and And my studios have sort of been looking at adaptive reuse and buildings that have sort of fallen into ruin, you know, car parks, buildings that have been, you know, struck by fire, like the Glasgow School of Art, like how might we, you know, reread or reassign meaning and use and value to these buildings, uh, which you know could be readily used in in our built fabric. And what if we had to use them? What if demolition wasn't an option? Is sort of something that I you know contend mm. with in the studio space.
2: So, and also that you know architecture sort of operates at a different time scale that mm. buildings most often outlive their client and their original program, and that that's a kind of assumption that we kind of. Make that, you know, when we're designing something, it's for a particular client mm. and it's for a particular use. When often buildings are kind of outlive that life, and I think you know that's what's been quite interesting about the development of your studio, where you're kind of recalibrating that time scale and kind of thinking beyond that. And so once you start to ask those questions, that actually the client isn't the client, and there's a sort of meta-client there that the project or the building is ultimately going to serve and, and live beyond. Those immediate needs, then yeah. it starts to ask other questions, and I think you know, like ultimately f- for us, commercial practice, you know, the one thing obviously from our experience, it's it's not good at is it, it doesn't sort of allow you space to kind of experiment to get things wrong to think. To, to, to try <laughs> things. Yeah, you know, you're always kind of working to the clock, and there's delivery deadlines that you're always trying to meet, and you know, importantly in the delivery of projects, which is sort of fundamental to our practice but at, at the same time that you know commercial practice doesn't allow that space and so i think that's you know why the sort of design studio has been formative for us as, as a way to kind of find that space within the profession yeah that
1: sounds like a good synergy andre you're going about looking at energy use and you know different ways of doing that out in more as well for instance and then Anna, you're looking at speculative like reuse of buildings and repurposing and future clients and briefs. So I guess that does, you know, tie back into the NGV entry. Do you reflect on that much or is it more like a subconscious thing
2: that this is happening? <laughs> I'd love to say we had it all figured out <laughs> and we were just following a path predetermined. But I think, you know, we're, we're still finding our way through this and trying to, you know, as a practice understanding where we sit You know, I think our interests are kind of clear, but, you know, I think we do need to kind of take a step back and kind of observe and try to understand, you know, our ways of working and some of the assumptions that we make and the kind Mm -hmm. of process, then kind of help direct, you know, the next step a little because, you know, some of it happens a little bit intuitively, a little bit by accident. And then, you know, sometimes we're, you know, a little more calculated and we'll be more deliberate about it. But I think we're still working that out, get you know, I think.
3: Yeah. And, I mean, we've been in practice for, I don't know, 15-odd years and we've both had, like, really diverse professional backgrounds. But I think one thing that we sort of now coming together, you know, as similar is that we sort of see value in the fact that we haven't sort of specialized in one area of practice you know like we, we've done we've worked across most sectors you know many years on residential projects commercial projects institutional projects and as Andre was saying you know architecture is hard and slow these these projects span years in some instances but I guess our strength is in not that we have specialized in any particular area but that we haven't specialised, and and maybe this goes back to some of that earlier discussion about how we approach briefs and, and competitions. You know, we're we're approaching it, thankfully, still without sort of preconceived notions or, or assumptions to assign to the project. And I think, yeah, for the time being, that's that's still an exciting, uh, formative terrain to 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 be in. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I see this kind of research element being able to tie this into a similar and then you know the kind of next step of pushing architecture's advancement I feel like that's kind of maybe like a core thing that I see like through your work like the title entry as well like technologically pushing the boundaries like this is yeah I think it's pretty exciting maybe that's a, a common theme rather than like an approach or a style or something like that or a preconceived idea. Uh, maybe a more a more basic question: Did you change the gas stack concept and design between stage one and two of the NGV competition, or were you just running with it and like had down or how did you go about that transition?
2: Mm. Well, I think our objective was to make it better. In <laughs> stage two, we seem to be the type of practice that we'll use every last second that we have, which was certainly the case in this in this scenario. So yeah. I think there was obviously a period of rationalization that went through like working with fabricators getting more in depth with Osnet about the logistics of decommissioning a transmission tower working more intensely on the input outputs of the anaerobic digester mm. and then you know obviously trying to make it stack up financially which I think you know for everyone that kind of enters that commission you kind of want to use every dollar but you've got to make sure it's it's under so I think that was you know the most challenging part because i think you know what our submission had that most don't have was a kind of you know working machine which kind of costs a certain amount so we kind of then didn't have as much afforded to the rest of it but obviously that was fundamental to it so it was probably ended up being about a sort of 50 50 split between the machine and the working machine and the sort of armature or the the apparatus or the architecture so i think that was a kind of definite thing and that was like you know working through like how how could we most efficiently assemble and disassemble it how could we kind of touch the ground lightly so there aren't any kind of heavy foundations for it we know, didn't need to
3: break ground we could yeah work with sort of plate footings basically just on the existing paving
2: hmm.
3: it did get smaller max it was like <laughs> i think what we proposed was maybe
2: i think it got maybe one Third smaller, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I feel like maybe we just made it one third too big. <laughs> first
3: stage. Um, that's part of, I guess, yeah, rationalising the structure, the scale, the the cost, installation, deinstallation, all of that. But I guess the short answer is the idea didn't really change. It was more that we were just able to sort of delve into those layers and just work through, I guess, the um, methodology for for how it would come about.
2: Mm. And I would say that it was. It was fun, but it was also, again, quite hard. You know, a lot of technical things, which are all, like, really good to work through. But I think it was over Christmas break. It was yeah, down. Yeah. you know. I-
3: yeah, that last week before we submitted was a lockdown. Uh, we all went into lockdown. It was, I think, stressful probably for all the victorian based competitors because that was definitely something that impacted those teams in, including us and um And if anything, we've learnt the value of how long it takes to edit and produce a 20-minute video presentation to the extent that we did. So, I mean, we're glad we did and we're really sort of proud of that as a part of the work, I guess.
2: But we probably would have been finished two months earlier if we hadn't done that. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty brutal in those times.
1: And also, you know, trying to collaborate, very difficult, I think, Mm. during those lockdowns.
2: Yeah, I mean, collaboration a, its a great idea, but it isn't always easy, particularly when you've got diverse opinions. And that's why you do it, because in the end of the day, the final outcome is richer for it. Mm. But like, you know, collaboration, you know, is a it is a process. It does take time. You do have differing opinions. But, you know, in that, that's why you bring together, you know, that kind of group of people so that you can get that other perspective that you might be prioritising a certain thing and overlooking an, another aspect. Mm. And so that's why collaboration, you know, is integral but challenging, you know, and that's something where we still really enjoy but also understand, um, you know, the kind of process that's involved in that.
3: Yeah, and sometimes those things do rest also on like the clarity of your idea as well and how how well you're able to, I guess, communicate that and have people you know, feel like they can contribute to that, that they can be a part of that. And and thankfully for this project, you know, everyone that we encountered either in stage one as collaborators on the project or, or in stage two, helping us sort of shore up the scheme, whether it be the engineer or the steel fabricators or Osnet, whoever, were thankfully, you know, all really invested in in what we were trying to achieve with that project. So that was what we found incredibly rewarding from that process yeah, so what's on the
1: cards for the future of Simular?
3: we're definitely i guess shifting focus from unbuilt and speculative to sort of built and and realized we have a couple of projects which are under construction at the moment so uh one being a sort of small residential alts and additions project and another being the sort of adaptive reuse of a, a warehouse in collingwood and i guess maybe contrary to earlier comments like no they haven't necessarily been inflected by some of these unbuilt projects you know they don't have an anaerobic digester on the roof or anything like that but nevertheless I think it's interesting to sort of think about how we can start to introduce some of these undercurrent themes and ideas into the into the projects that we're doing and because built architecture works on a different time scale those are definitely working on on a different set of concepts
2: yeah and I I think another medium that you know we haven't spoken much about that is important to the practice is the kind of exhibition so we're also in the process of curating an exhibition for later in the year which will involve some other practices as well and so I think you know that's again I think ultimately when we talk about the kind of speculative project it's not of any real value if it, it has no sort of agency in the public domain or it's affecting the built work in some way and so, you know, the, the exhibition becomes a good vehicle to kind of uh, test that and, and to kind of, you know, have that conversation. Yeah,
1: mm. yeah, amazing. All right, I look forward to going to that. So, yeah, thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Hearing Architecture and I hope you enjoyed it Thank and look forward to the next one. Great, thanks Max. Thanks Max.
0: This has been Hearing Architecture, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to our guests in this episode, Anna Yankovic and Andre Bernice from Simula. Thanks so much for your time and for sharing how exploratory projects can help stimulate architectural development for young practices. We can't wait to see what you do next. Our sponsor Brickworks also produce architecture podcasts hosted by modernist fanatic and comedian Tim Ross. You can find The Art of Living, Architects Abroad, and The Power of Two at brickworks.com.au or your favorite podcast platform. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review, and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favorite podcast app. If you want to know more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy. And the Imagine production team was Max Legal White, Hilary Duff and Kimberly Huey. This interview was edited by Peter Carter at Pillow Fort Audio Productions, written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.